0: Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. You know what I realized? That because I go live when we record the podcast, that I also open with, welcome to the Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you and living your cognitive rampage. And then I do it when I come back to do the intro for the show and the fun. I could always edit it out, but it's weird. If you edit it out, If you edit out the live part, then you just kind of write into this conversation, right? It's kind of a weird transition. Maybe I'll just open differently without saying that bullshit on the intro. Maybe that's the answer. But on the podcast today was an exciting conversation, an enlightening conversation, exploratory conversation, an open-minded conversation, and one I thoroughly enjoyed. I maybe considered boring to some of you that I could sit and talk about diagnosis and diagnosing and etiologies of mental health diagnosis, etc. But Stephen Tonti is a man of many parts. To quote one of my favorite movies, Tombstone. He was put on the scene back in 2013 with his TEDx CMU talk about Childhood ADHD about him being diagnosed as that and what he chose to do with that diagnosis. And we explore that. Something I really enjoyed and encourage him to go further with, which he is doing anyway. But, you know, he took the diagnosis on and then managed some perception change. I'll let him explain it. But, we really go deep into it we question a lot of things about adhd about the diagnosing of it teachers etc it gets really informative so i I really enjoy talking with uh steven and look to do it again also not going to tell you about dollar mental health club because the truth is we've paused that we've paused it because it's making a little redesign shift and maybe going on a much, much larger scale. So I can't duplicate myself, so myself being available at Dollar Mental Health Club is no longer. Look out for big things of what Dollar Mental Health Club is now doing. We're going back into the lab. It's still up, but uh, you'll get the concept, but uh, no more training Dollar Mental Health Club with myself. I have began to focus in a different realm if you will, something that's always been a specialist, a specialty to me, if you will. It's not an actual special uh, thing. But ever since I remember going back to school to be a mental health counselor, I always had this draw to working with athletes. And Leo Ball, love you, man, my mentor back then, knew that. I used to talk about it a lot, and he always suggest suggested specializing, you know, but uh, anyway, so... I've decided to do so And with the second book that I'm working on currently The Killing Fields, Athlete's Depression I am investigating and researching and writing about What I have founded, if you will Called Athlete's Depression a actual diagnosis, I believe That should exist within the DSM And because of my focus with athletes I tell people that I specialize In the mental health of athletes And this is on three fronts I'm not Mr. Miyagi. I'm not your mental training coach, which I am, but I'm not the one that's going to be the one telling you, you know, how to knock the guy out, how to focus harder on your plays, because that's what your coaches do. That becomes an individual thing. That's what you work out, literally, physically. But what I do as a mental trainer to athletes is I, first, on the first level, help you keep your life balanced outside of the gym, off the court, and off the field and out of the ring. If you are a high-performance athlete, you know that your life schedule is different and it's intense and that can affect those around you. The ones we love, our family, excuse me, our friends, everything. So you also know that if you're on the field quarter in the ring and for a half a second, you think about that fight you had with the one you love or something else that's not balanced in the life outside. What happens? You get choked out, that's what happens. You get knocked out, or you miss the play, you miss the shot, you strike out, whatever. So, everyone knows that high-performance athletes are beginning to add performance, mental performance coaches in their camps now. So, on three levels, I now mental coach professional athletes in their camps, whether they're preparing for a fight, or preparing for a tryout, any time like that. Because it becomes real intense then. So I basically come in and I'm your mental trainer to help balance your personal life as you're dealing with the struggles of being a performance athlete. On the second level, it's just pure mental training. I do 30-minute and 60-minute sessions with you, but I'm teaching you psychology tools, mental health counseling tools. I'm teaching you the tools. I'm not using it on you because I know you can learn strategies. You can learn tactics, right? Because you know these things, I can teach you the mental tactics that counselors and psychologists use that you then can use on yourself. Because being an athlete, I know you're going to do it yourself. So it's about providing the right psychological and mental tools to you to do that yourself and whatever you're dealing with in the present to come up with solutions, not necessarily explore how you feel about it. Okay. It's about finding solutions and working through it, which I know athletes are good at doing being an ex athlete myself. So pure mental training in small sessions, 30 and 60, we do it. I also do it with you in your camp. That's based on the length of your camp, how we price that out, et cetera. But, and I do what's called mental, athlete mental recovery. Athlete mental recovery is on a few, different fr- a few different fronts. Whether you are suffering from athlete's depression, I help you recover from that. Maybe you've been injured and you're trying to come back from an injury or maybe the injury ended your career or maybe you just took a loss it's about recovering from that or maybe you've retired and now it's a life beyond competition beyond the sport what do you do who are you what do you do now see part of my athletes depression ideology i talk about the labeling of who we are as the athlete so when that is removed You start to encroach on almost an identity dissociative disorder But it's not that It's actually athlete's depression So specializing in the mental health of athletes is what I do And I call it athlete's revelations Because revelations, you can have them that can spawn you into a new world And the revelations also mean the end of something or the end of an era So I know how that feels, it's difficult So that's what we're doing go to dot scroll all the way to the bottom find the mental training you can book it right there i can call you we can do it virtual or you can come to the gym i work out of fusion xl performance mma gym and lab in orlando or okoy florida actually where i spent most of my childhood but uh yeah so i work with some fighters over there as well too so yeah my co Yeah, I love this stuff, man. I've downed uh, my one today. I'll end up having another one with my green shake later, but uh, the probiotic mushroom water. That's it, man. It's this healing nectar of the gods full of probiotics, but what I love most about it is the pH of the water. It's as clean as it gets. It's like 2.6 or something. They do this UV ultra future prometheus cleaning, cleansing method to it. They also make X Men people there, but I don't know. That probably wasn't funny. But the water's clean. That's what I mean. The water's clean. That's what I like most about it. Go to drinkmycot.com. That's drink my c o t e a. Alfred, love it, man. Keep sending me the stuff. And since I did the intro to the guest already, with no further ado, here is Stephen Tonti. We are going live here, YouTube, welcome, as always, podcast will be posted soon, tomorrow you will see Dr. Stanton Peel's podcast, uh, hit iTunes and everywhere else, he's been on YouTube for a while, I have gotten all the emails, I'm sure he has too, so thank you very much. Now, the gentleman on the podcast currently, I probably could do an intro, but it would take a 13 minute TED talk to do so. <laughs> So uh the titles that uh come along with this man I can I actually can relate and I'll probably end up telling a little bear story along the way but um you know Stephen I would introduce you but you know I'd like to hear your introduction because it's a good one Stephen man what welcome to the show
1: <laughs> Hey thanks man I'm happy to be here
0: So your your titles as of current would be
1: Okay um Ah Man, it's been so long since I did The Riff, and my titles are much more concise now than than three years ago, three and a half years ago. Um, I am currently a writer and director for film and television, and on the rare occasion, theater, if it comes my way. I am also applying for grad school uh, in film on the West Coast exclusively, and I am in the middle of of co producing, co creator, uh, directing a feature length documentary as a cross country flight with my best friend David Grabowski. Um, he and I are recreating the first transcontinental flight in American history done by a guy named Cal Rogers in 1911. So, 105 years ago in September, we're doing it in reverse, going from California to New York. He went from Brooklyn to California. I am also in cahoots with a, with a good friend of mine named Aaron Smith, who runs Potential Within Reach. He is an ADHD coach. And I and he have officially established Attention Different, which is a, a new company supporting all things Attention Different. He himself has ADHD. He and I met at the National Convention for Children and Adults with ADHD last year in New Orleans, hosted by Chad. And um, so I'm, I'm working on, you know, that portion of my public speaking career. Also, Aaron has convinced me to uh, pretty seriously investigate getting a coaching, a life coaching certificate uh, with an emphasis in ADHD coaching, if, if I so choose. So let's see, the titles right now are writer, director, public speaker, producer, and maybe life coach. And for a little bit there, I was a bartender to make all the ends meet in New York.
0: <laughs> I mean, I can relate, man. I Those that uh, that know me know that I have done just about everything under the sun or have tried it once. And when someone sent me your talk, uh, a member of the Tribe of Change sent me your talk, and I watched it. And for me, you know, I'm at the rampage. We kind of go not against diagnosis, but just different perspective, different ways of looking at what they call outside of the norm. So, right your approach to it just it, it captured me right on how you approach yeah. how you used it and how you chose to perceive this now let's face it subjective in its own diagnosis as most mental health diagnoses are um can i can i walk with you if that's okay into that childhood part and how the teacher was the diagnosis i mean what um what were you showing i mean was it i mean take me back there you know walk me through that if you can man.
1: Sure. So the, the the section in the TED Talk of 2013 is is uh, pretty accurate. Um, I was the section regarding auditioning for a new school in Dallas. So I had moved from Louisiana to Dallas, and my first grade teacher in Louisiana told my parents and uh, told my parents, "Hey, be on the lookout for ADHD." I think I'm sure at the time she probably said ADD. Right. So at the time there was a difference between the two. Now we know that that's not the case, that there are three subgroups of ADHD. There is no such thing as ADD. There's just ADHD type one, type two, and type three. So my first grade teacher said, watch out, I think this kid has ADD. My parents weren't really sure what that was, but lo and behold, when I was meeting with my parents on my left and right with a, uh, you know, for second grade at a school in Dallas, we were all talking or the, the teacher was talking to my parents, you know, they were talking about the program, asking questions. And I was leaning left and right in my chair trying to see behind this teacher because there were a bunch of kids playing with a big ball outside. Right. It was recess and i leaned so far to the left or right that i fell out of my chair um coincidentally at the moment that they were talking about whether or not i was adhd or add mm-hmm. and i fell onto the floor so my teacher that teacher that i wasn't being interviewed by also knew a little thing or two about add and said you know just from sitting in this office for an hour with you guys and watching steven fidget and ask a lot of questions he's clearly very positive and excited but it's hard like there were very few boundaries, ostensibly. It was it was very interruptive, it was very in, um, impulsive. Not that it was mean spirited or or harsh or abrasive, but just you know constant. Like like I have a question, I have a question, leaning, leaning, not sitting down, that sort of thing. So she suggested that I get tested, which I did, um, sometime between the age of eight and ten. I I can't quite remember exactly when and You know, surprisingly enough, not really, my parents can't really either, but somewhere between the age of eight and 10, having lived in Dallas for, you know, a few years, I got officially tested. Um, I went through the neuropsych evaluation. Uh, It took two weekends, I think, Um, and then came out ADD. I was, I was officially stamped ADD around that age, about eight to 10. And from then on, most certainly at 10, I was taking five milligrams of Ritalin three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and at home for homework. Once middle school had rolled around, and it was your it was your classic um, it was your 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 sort of the cliche symptoms for young boys with ADHD, full of energy, what seemed what's what seemed like boundless energy from seven a.m. until I reportedly, according to my mother, crashed hard at like nine p.m. You know, with just full out energy, talking very fast. Impulsive decisions, very excited, very excitable. Um, you know, all the all the huge, as they say. Um, whereas my peers were, you know, respected rules and boundaries more consistently. You know, I had classmates who'd raise their hand two or three times, or if at all, during a class time. And pretty much every class period, I was raising my hand 10 15 times. You know, shouting out answers, that sort of thing. So, the classics definitely distinguish me from the rest
0: of the pack yeah that uh when i start walking through that territory man i start i I can't help but start to get kind (laughs) of upset because you know i i think you know why not modify the education system that's creating mostly non-critical thinking drone likes that are just spitting them out to be on assembly line type but you know when i think you know this person this individual doesn't fit into the spectrum that we deem normal and thus you know. The pharmaceutical approach, you know, jumps in and obviously, but those labels also kind of hurt, you know, when you begin to put them on and I think they freely throw those labels around and people like teachers that may witness things, you know, a lot of times still aren't the ones to be, you know, judging. And, you know, the neuro test you mentioned is one of the closest ones to being accurate on, uh, under the criterion of that diagnosis for sure. Um, You know, some of the brain studies that we had, uh, I think it was not Dr. Carl Hart. I was Dr. Carl Hart, uh, as well as Dr. Andrew Hill, that Mm. the closest test that we have for brain imaging for ADHD, uh, is, is ADHD. I should say that basically no other brain test kind of works for any other mental disorder. They think there's a, I'm going to, I'm not my lane, but there's a gathering kind of in the top part that they can tell on some brain imaging that may, you know, kind of lead to it. So, you know, for me, it's difficult because I've, I was blessed with that indirectly by many labels you know along the way i mean the story i say i I would tell quickly is my we're native american and you know half in my family and so my my name before swimming bear before i became older was little bear and little bear had a story to what always causing an issue so the farmers and the bears got along fine but the little bear would come along and he would pull down the first ear of corn he'd start to eat it but before he finished it the next one looked too good. And then he's chewing on this one. Huh. Then he's on the next one. He never finishes it and he causes an issue. Well, that was my name. So I, I related to, to this talk, to this experience, to the labels, to the indirect labels, to, uh. to the testings. And and now that, you know, long period out. And I loved what you did with it, man. You changed the whole perception, man. You You obviously didn't like the feeling of the drugs, right? The sedation. So... Um, A
1: few things, and I'll start with semantics. So I, by nature of having very supportive parents, I won't say always positive because that's too much of a wash. You know, everyone is entitled to their negative opinion at times, but constantly supportive. So never lacking support. I was blessed with parents who empowered who I was even if there were critical opinions or if they were if they pointed out at any time that that i was missing the mark or missing the gap or or if if sometimes you know sometimes it's not just ADHD, sometimes it's just you know sometimes laziness or tiredness or play, you know wanting to play video games instead of read history your history textbook which can be applied to any student right um regardless of a mental disorder i had parents that navigated those waters but no matter what were supportive, and what that created, um, along with teachers who were supportive, was a confident identity with ADHD. And I there thereby treated it as something I was, this is what I tend to believe, not that I had. So generally speaking, this is generally speaking, you have a disorder or an illness, right? Uh, he she has the flu, he she has, a cough, he, she has a cold, he, she has, you know, mono, whatever it is, but you often hear he or she is autistic, he, she is ADHD, he, she is bipolar, is schizophrenic, right? That's Which is a really interesting, say again?
0: Yeah, they become the label, they
1: identify with the label. You, bec- you are it. Mm-hmm. Now, curiously enough, I championed that. From, an, from a very early stage because I was instilled with confidence and positivity, mostly. I was excited to be ADHD. I liked having a bunch of energy. I like the fact that now at 25, I'm able to get five and a half hours of sleep a night and be okay all day. As long as I'm treating myself healthily with nutrition and exercise, et cetera, which is definitely not the case in a freelance film industry, I can get five and a half hours, six hours. I don't need eight. I don't need 10. I get lethargic, actually. And I've loved that since I was in high school and middle school. So I championed being ADHD. I say I am, not have. Now, I have friends and um, creative partners, business associates, classmates, um, ex-girlfriends, etc., who who say they have, not are, or did say they had, now they say they are, you know, are going through their own um, um, transition or struggle. And I've, I've found that there is a distinct line between those within, you know, under this umbrella of semantics who say I have versus I am. And that usually tells me something about how a person feels about their mental disorder. I generally feel positively about my disorder and therefore say more comfortably, I am this thing and I deal with it for it's good and it's bad. Again, this is a general wash. There could be a perfectly happy person who says I have this disorder, but I'm okay with it and I'm confident and healthy, et cetera. But I've found that have versus am creates this general divide between those who have been told they have a condition, they have a problem, they have a disorder and it's separate from themselves. Versus someone who is told, "Okay, this is this is part of your brain. It's part of your character, but let's work with it, et cetera, et cetera." Um, So that's one thing. Is that semantically speaking, I I have always associated with am. There was a little bit of a flip flop in the last three to five years where I was going back and forth, but I'm pretty pretty firmly in the I am category nowadays. Um, The second thing with semantics is that it's a negative diagnosis on its face. So I haven't added this into the talk yet, but there's a new portion that will have to do just with the words attention, deficit, hyperactive disorder. And I kind of, you know, sardonically you know uh, joked with my my business partner Aaron that that's and my parents, that's three negative words and one neutral word in a diagnosis. So you're a parent, you don't know anything about the disorder, and you are told by a doctor that your child is deficit, hyperactive disorder right? That's a scary, you know, you're lacking in something. There's a mental disorder and it's hyperactive. It's all over the place. It's hard to control. That's the first thing you hear is that your child is, you know, three parts negative, one part neutral, right? Something to do with attention. And I didn't like that. I, I, I couldn't put it that concisely when I was in college, but that's what I was reacting to when I gave the talk. And when I, when I reframed it, attention different. Because I liked saying I am ADHD, but I don't like the fact that the disorder is so is so saturated in negative ver- like, like vocabulary, like straight on. So I, I wanted to champion this philosophy that I am this thing, but I wanted to do away with the negative connotations of the label. so I, I changed it to attention different. I am attention different. I am different. Than my classmate, I am different than my my roommate. Actually, at the time, my roommate Adam was like hardcore ADHD. <laughs> so the four of us the same. But I, I I liked this notion of being. This is this is my brain. You cannot separate ADHD from me. It's impossible. It is a chemical imbalance in my head. It is a an improper balance of norepinephrine, dopamine, and uh, you know at times adrenaline, right, and endorphins. So. It's chemical. It's in my head. In my head is my, in my opinion, this is my personal opinion. My brain is my soul, like is the engine, is the computer, right? So if the computer has a chemical imbalance, then I am that chemical imbalance. And I work with that, but I didn't like this hardcore negative. So I spun it to attention different.
0: Well, there are a few powerful things here, man, at at play from a, coming from a mental counselor standpoint, Mm. you know, Wow, because when I used to work with, um, you know, people dealing with addiction, et cetera, the yeah. idea of claiming that, you know, hi, my name is and I'm an addict is detrimental because, you know, what you reference as semantics, I would actually tell you is very powerful. I mean, you're talking about. Um, oh, I
1: give it power. Sorry to interject. I think I am part of the Stephen Fry, um, uh, uh, you know, lineage of people who believe that words have very, very, very serious power. and that
0: you're a writer. You're a writer, so I mean, you're a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's coming that way. So, but <laughs> yeah. there's two things though that, because typically, I would say, look, uh, claiming that we are something generally has the self fulfilling prophecy attached. But you had two powerful things though that are different that most that experience what you have don't. I mean, first, we all understand that ADHD is a, a very wide spectrum at this point. Yes,
1: massive. So,
0: right. So, but you, you had the positive support and the epigenetic influence to your development. This, this is, I mean, Aubrey de Grey, you know, Dr. Underpat, these people would say, look, this is why, you know, yeah. you had this epigenetic influence that was positive to, to a point, as you said. Uh, but from a cognitive standpoint, I don't know why I would lean that way. <laughs> but, but from a framing standpoint, the power that you chose to, accept what ADHD was, but then use your power of perception to frame it in a way for you that actually what I noticed brought to you a level of awareness. You know, like now because I'm aware of what this is, I can then apply it as necessary, almost like a superpower. Mm.
1: I I, you know, it's an age old cliche, but it's... <laughs> super accurate as many cliches go knowledge is power and lack of knowledge creates fear breeds fear so when i can't i can't count on two hands i can't count on a calculator how the number of young adults teens young adults and adults adults who i've encountered who either weren't diagnosed until their late 20s um are pretty sure they might be adhd and and have not been diagnosed yet and are in their early 30s, their mid-20s, late-20s, and particularly that latter group, um, but that former group, those who have been diagnosed late, can, can attest, can account, are terrified because there is this constant pressure to finish tasks or to finish things or reach goals on time based on our cultural, just our Western culture of Right. Success driving for success and et cetera. Um, and this and this consistent block, mental block, or inability to, as you say, going from corn stalk to corn stalk, right? The next thing looks so tasty. Um, I have I, I can't I can't count on two hands how the number of people who I've met who are afraid, who are so afraid, they haven't either haven't been diagnosed yet, or they or they tell me about how afraid and frustrated they were for years not knowing why they were having these challenges while also having a brain and a spirit and a gumption that they know deep down is strong, is excited, creative. You know, I, you know, uh, most of these people I've, I've talked to will say, I have so many ideas right? I've heard that phrase, but I have so many ideas. I have 10,000 ideas every day that I know are good ideas. I know they're not bad ideas. I know they're good, but I can't do anything about them or I try. And then, you know, I've tried a thousand of them in the last 20 years and finished one of them, you know, or, or finished none of them. And for me, that early diagnosis, very early, eight to 10 is really a blessing considering the the year in which I, in which I was diagnosed, right? So 19.
0: In the severity.
1: Yeah. 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 And the severity. yeah, exactly. So when I was diagnosed at age and the time in, you know, the early two thousands when I was diagnosed, I got very lucky because I was able to take charge of it. I knew what it was early on and I had the appropriate amount of time in my developmental years to overcome fear of it, right now, and and this is this is I'm happy to share this with anyone. Now I have like you know I, I may sound like I may sound like I'm a little bit more than ADHD. I might be a little psychotic in a cafe when I'm talking to myself. But now I have this like I know now I have this 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 fun almost like Matthew Broderick from the movie Lady Hawk. Like you know he's talking to God or and himself. But I have this like communication with my with my my. It's almost it's almost like Jekyll and High, but I don't feel split personality. It's like a it's a conversation with me. And I'll, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave the keys somewhere and say, Don't forget you put the keys right there. And this little voice in my head is saying, You could just attach it to your belt. You you know you're gonna forget it. And like five minutes later, where are the keys, where are the keys, and I find them and I have a, a conversation with myself, like you idiot, like you know what and then we laugh about it. You know, I I laugh with me about it, but I can only have that. that level of comfort and that that level of confidence with with like like my ADHD and me because of as you said the the positive support that I had and the very early knowledge of what it was Um, you know knowledge is so powerful that even the negative connotations of the disorder are more easy to overcome when you learn early. It's kind of one of the shames of those who are diagnosed with manic bipolar one, or even later bipolar two, where you really don't know you have it until right around college. Like end of high school, college is usually on average when the first major trigger happens for manic bipolar one.
0: And that's a really- Unless trauma, unless trauma. And
1: of course, unless severe trauma or what's now on the horizon, ADHD bipolar.
0: Well, to I'm gonna kind of, uh, to jump in, man. Yeah, yeah go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Before we get too far, yeah. you were talking about uh, those diagnosed late, and I've done a few rampages on this. Uh, I've been doing this for a while now, but yeah, um, kind of researching it on my own as long as uh, as well as I'm researching what I believe to be athletes' depression as a real diagnosis, mm. uh, which I'm aiming to get into the DSM eventually. But that book will be out, that book will be out in August. But I I've referenced. Uh, I kind of didn't mean to find this little etiology I discovered while I was researching that. Mm. And actually, what I what I was finding other people too. People that are actually in the medium to low end of ADHD actually over time can end up more severe with other issues because what ends up happening. You actually talk through it is when you're kind of low end. You're never quite sure. So you never really become aware or do anything. And then the pressures of life go on 5, 10, 20 years. And obviously you're not being able to focus, finish, et cetera, and even cultivate good social relationships because it's hard to connect at the same time. So people see you differently, but then they see doctors, et cetera. Well, then it looks like depression early, and then over time, they get spurts using that superpower of ADHD, where they're going to come out of the gate swinging, and then they fail again because of focus, and then the depression sets in. Got and what you it. see over a fifteen-year span are misdiagnosis of bipolar, mm-hmm. when truthfully it was just a low-end spectrum ADHD that the person went unaware with over time.
1: I I hear what you're saying, and that makes. That, that makes, um, a lot of sense, uh, particularly with ADHD women, um, adult ADHD, adult women with ADHD. I know there, uh, it's, uh, now I understand why you, you brought in severity earlier. Um, right now as, uh, as the trend goes, unfortunately, ultimately boys, young boys are much easier to spot with ADHD. And the reason is, generally speaking, again, not everybody. Generally speaking, young boys are more extroverted ADHD. Not extroverted, but outwardly ADHD. They question authority before they question themselves, right? So boys are like, they're like, ego, ego, ego. Why are are my teachers treating me this way? Why do I have so much homework? Why do I have to study so much? Why can't I go outside? Whereas young girls with ADHD usually ask the question, what's wrong with me? Why am I not like my girlfriends? Why am I not like my group? Why can't I finish this? Why can't I do this? And so they're more quiet about it. Also, where um, boys aren't really as much Calvin and Hobbes as far as like fantasy going, they're very gen- again a general curve. They can be very physical with their ADHD at young at a young age. They are very physically impulsive, running, jumping off trees, wrestling by fighting their friends, etc. Whereas
0: the culture environment there also. Exactly,
1: it? exactly. Boys are more encouraged to go outside and wrestle around and play football, whereas, you know, exactly. There's a cultural environment preset for boys to be more physically ADHD, whereas um, signs and symptoms from young girls, again, are more spacey. They're more in their head. So a young girl with ADHD may be less prone to interrupt in class, but rather she sits in the back of the room and is daydreaming the entire 45 minutes or an hour and a half and at the end of the class goes, wakes up and says, oh, my God, I didn't listen to anything. And then so, so, the dip, so a, a difference that's trending right now between young boys and young girls is shame in young girls, like developing shame at a very early age and it getting really serious by the time they may be diagnosed in their early 20, teens, early 20s. You know, that shame has really set in this, this deep rooted feeling of I, I am wrong. Something is broken about me. Whereas boys can develop an anger, a testiness, uh, um, uh you know, uh, even deeper impulsivity, you know, uh, you know, F it. I'm going to do whatever the, I, I want to do what I want. And, you know, they're wrong. Right. Um, that accounts in my readings and in my, you know, whatever studies that I've done, um, for, that depression that you speak of but it, but the argument is is extremely compelling and i believe it that the it's interesting uh the small to the you know the moderate to intermediate symptoms so if you're on that scale if you're on the lighter end of the scale there's not, this idea that it goes unchecked and then develops into anxiety or depression legitimately
0: and mostly and, bipolar misdiagnosis
1: exactly well and and if you wanted to springboard off of that i know that the uk in the last 5 to 10 years has been having a, a real bad time with misdiagnosis of bipolar with depression. Um, they are diagnosing patients who come in with depression because you only go to the therapist. This is a dumb reason, but kind of a, one of those sinister reasons. You only go to the therapist when you're sad, not when you're manically happy. So they're diagnosing reactive, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're they're diagnosing kids with depression when they actually have bipolar and they're mis, mismedicating. So I can absolutely jump on the train. That um, uh, jump on the track that's that's trending towards misdiagnosis at an early age that develops into something deeper and more sinister. And I've I've absolutely heard stories of that at last Chad in, in New Orleans and met people with 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 those with those um, with uh, signs of that reality. If that makes sense with with that story. Yeah, yeah, it
0: does. I Man, because they'll have these spurts to where they have one of those great ideas. They pick it up, they run with it, and people think okay, they're they're fine. And then it's the failing of idea after idea after idea. And it begins to look like something else. And Ooh. over time, it really does develop. It's the awareness you talked about It is so key, man. And, you know, the bipolar diagnosis, you know, comes over time. You know, I, I get a lot of shit for it. But I, I say that, you know, when a doctor that prescribes antidepressants is practicing out of his scope because a seven-minute meeting with somebody and a few questions – and most of the time, the new doctors take a little more, but a lot of doctors, no psych classes whatsoever. Hmm. So it's, so are you sad? Are you this? They ask the questions that the drug peddlers tell them to, you know, so in a, a, well, you mentioned also a misdiagnosis of, uh, the reason that can be very bad and detrimental to a bipolar, a true bipolar diagnosis is if you give someone who's a bipolar an antidepressant yeah, for the big- or three days, they're like it's the God reveal to where they're like, oh, it's great, everything's better, and you know, in about fourth day, oh my, you will cycle faster. It actually will cause someone bipolar to cycle faster between sets when uh taking antidepressant.
1: Yeah, it created uh five to ten in the last five to ten years in the UK. It's created a, it's created a spike in suicides because of the misdiagnosis. The I'll plug a, a doctor who I'm a huge fan of. If you haven't already had on the show, you 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 have to, I was at to. his name is Dr. Um, uh, Olivardia, Roberto Olivardia. He's the, I want to say he's the head of psychology at Harvard, but he may just be a, like a psychologist at Harvard, like a resident psychologist. But he, I saw him last Chad last year in November and he has ADHD I believe his four-year-old son has ADHD and he spent a a lot of his early practice researching eating disorders. And he started making linkages to ADHD, bipolar and other mental disorders to eating disorders. And then that led to a well of experience with um, bipolar and ADHD. And now he's, he is one of the experts expert on, on bipolar And um, he's actually the one who introduced me and this room full of people listening in to the very real potential, in his opinion, for um, ADHD and bipolar together, which can can cause bipolar to happen uh, earlier onset bipolar symptoms in, in a childhood's life. Regardless, his feeling on primary care physicians versus psychologists versus psychiatrists was black and white. He is a, he is an esteemed psychologist, highly intelligent. And like I said, an expert's expert and he prescribing say again,
0: that's in my, sorry to jump in. I I I spout out one. No, no, of course you should be uh, prescribing. That's what I
1: thought. And I may have even blurted out to him. Mm -hmm. However, his feeling is different. He said, nope, psychiatrist, only a psychiatrist. The only person who should be prescribing medication is a psychiatrist after a formal psych visit. A psychologist is in the hierarchy. A psychologist is better than the primary care physician, right? And a psychiatrist is the best of the best. Well, I
0: mean, so their job, they're by they do the pills for the for mood disorder, brain disorder. That's what they do.
1: And unfortunately, the trend has swung very significantly the other way. I was diagnosed by a primary care physician. Yep. I, I was, di- I was, or I was screened is the correct term actually. I was screened by a primary care physician. I was formally diagnosed by a psychiatrist. Um, but my, I, you know, I met with predominantly and was prescribed my medication by a pediatrician. My pediatrician. And I say this, I've said this before in other shows, and and um, to other ed- educators for ADHD, my pediatrician was the shit. Loved the guy. He was. We had a very open, vulnerable relationship. Super cool guy. Kind of like a you know a, um, a cool dude in his mid thirties, late thirties that I looked up to. But to your point, and to the to the point of many other doctors that I've met, PCPs, they didn't have more than a segment of a chapter on ADHD in their, in their medical textbooks. I've heard it time and time again. Education on mental disorders is is vastly improving, but for your regular old MD, doctor training, residency and training, et cetera, ADHD, autism, bipolar are not explored as deeply as they should or could be. And because of that, you've got a Well, because of that, and the reality that mostly primary care physicians are diagnosing kids these days, you've got an imbalance in correct diagnoses, and then arguably, arguably more significant or more more uh, unhealthy, is after the diagnosis, a severe drop or gap in monitoring. So I, again, lucky had a support group of people asking me how I was doing and how I was feeling, how's your appetite, how are the migraines, et cetera. But that's still not a hundred percent correct monitoring. You should be, if you're doing it correctly, you should be, especially at the age of 10 years old when I was prescribed Ritalin, you should be checking type of medication that's being taken every, every three months to six months, at the latest, um, at what How many milligrams you're taking? What what level of a dose affects your mood in the morning, in the evening? There should be journals. It's a serious thing. But I definitely grew up at a time when there was a hint, in my experience, of medicate it and forget it, right? And that is not okay. PC uh, primary care physicians are not the first; should not be the first gate. Uh, they often are, and it makes sense. There's no shock as to why it happens. Your child is sick or your child is acting out. Where do you go? The doctor. Easy, right? Where do I go? My pediatrician. So that's why the onus ends up falling on them. So it's not entirely their fault. But it is a shame. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. The first, the you know, the education is too poor, the price of psychiatrists is too high. They're, they're, you should be going to the person who knows the most about a disorder or any, you know, or mental disorders at all, not the person who went through many, many years of a vast amount of medical training to get a little bit of a lot, right, um, and then specialize later. So, yeah, I, 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 I echo what you're saying, and I, too have had a or have heard negative experiences and had my own gray experience with with teachers and pcps diagnosing and prescribing when the people who should be doing that are psychiatrists and psychiatrists alone and a psychologist if you if you know if you're lucky as well
0: yeah the there was a time though when the psychiatrist when it was common to also be doing psychotherapy that was a common practice and Mm. insurance sped up The more it became time sensitive, um, many psychiatrists stopped doing psychotherapy uh, along with it. And that's where kind of psychologists came in and they started bringing on, you know, uh, nurses and LCSWs, right? And LCSWs don't have quite the research that LMHCs do in mental health diagnosing, but technically, counselors are more like uh, caseworkers, you know? So Mm -hmm. that is, is kind of split up. There's a, I did an interview. Um, he is quite an expert on bipolar too, and he's going to kill me if I don't remember his name. Um, <laughs> one of the first, um, one of the first, um, interviews that we did back when the studio was so terrible, it was this crappy little office that we had with private practice with, uh, my mentor, uh, Leo Danaball. this yellow office. And I had this <laughs> shitty camera from an angle uh holding <laughs> holding the view. But um I'm I should find his name now here. I'm clicking on the back, but he's the guy that was really adamant and was talking about the misdiagnosis issues with a uh depression and bipolar and then giving the oh. antidepressants to uh someone that's actually uh bipolar. Uh he brought up a ton of things. We talked I think two hours or so uh on the show. Uh mm. there we go. He's got him somewhere around here. Well, I thought I would, uh, I thought I'd get lucky clicking on some of these late ones, but, um, man, doctor, oh, he is going to get mad at you, Steven. (laughs) Oh, he will call me too. That's what I mean. He's going to listen to this and call me uh, and say, you know what you were talking to, I gave you, there it is. Uh, Dr. Louis Brodsky. Brodsky. Yeah. Gotcha, buddy. Gotcha. Louis. Um, he is a man of many parts as well. <laughs> he, uh, him and I used to sit uh, and eat lunch together when I was working in clinical in the hospital. And this guy would just talk and talk and talk about all kinds of diagnosis, but he was a musician. He was a comedian. He was, uh, he did so many things. Uh, and then later he's kind of like, well, maybe you now know why I understand what we've been talking about yeah. other than, you know, a psych, uh, psychiatry. And he's one that still does psychotherapy. That he mm. did and still talk to you, and I think the insurance somewhere is a point at the end of this, maybe, or or a question. But I think that insurance push, right? That hurry up, get it done, thirty days, sixty days. You know, the, it causes. So I sound like I'm attacking MDs, and I don't mean to. The idea is they they too feel pressure to absolutely move patients. Insurance crushing on them. You know, everyone is truly affected by the system. You yeah. know, maybe it's the system of operation and what you do, Stephen. I think needs to go much farther, and you need to write something more psychological about what you did. Because mm. there's an approach there, because it's the cognitive approach you took with the perception change, along with the awareness and the positive. That this is a new approach. This is something, and look what you do. I mean, come on you you're you're the Wheaties box of it. So <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but but think about it, you know, so it's a totally different approach, man. I think you should definitely walk down some psychology path of some book, writing a new approach mm. to, I don't even want to say treating it, maybe a new approach to accepting it.
1: Well, you give me a great plug. I'm very appreciative. Um, and also a, a good place to, to talk about attention different and what Aaron and I are trying to do. So. Aaron and I, up to this point, Aaron—Aaron Aaron is very much what I'll call the academic of the two of us. Both of us read plenty of articles. We're both um, in the scene, so to speak. But Aaron is the Columbia master's degree holding social worker who's been—you know—he's in his early thirties. I'm 25. He's—he's. He's he giving, would know Dr.
0: Carl Hart. if he's out of Columbia, he would probably. Uh, be
1: he, uh, Aaron. Aaron uh, is 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 very on top. Uh, very on top of it very on top of the scene he's um you know my time spent with him when we meet uh back when i was living in new york i just recently moved out we were were meeting uh at at our healthiest once if not twice a week to discuss this new company or this brand this movement we call it a movement the attention different movement um he he is my real-time educator right so i have I have my own, therapist. actually another plug, Eric Tibbers, who you may be aware of. He has the ADHD Rewired podcast and is also, um, he has ADHD. He speaks at Chad often um, and is just a wonderful, sweet, beautiful man. I was part of his um, CBT group uh, earlier this year and an extension of that. So between Eric and um, uh, Ari Tuckman, who is the head of Chad and Aaron, my ADHD, my attention different business partner. Um, I, I received my education of these doctors, these psychologists, these speakers and, and, um, uh, you know, fellow movement pushers from these people from, uh, particularly Aaron. So yeah, attention different in the movement and my relationship to my psychology and how it came to be and, and how to spread that model around. Right. Because it, it ended up pretty positive. Um, it starts with a shift in representation and presentation of any mental disorder to the person or persons that have it, right? That have or are it, barring which way you go. The way that we present mental disorder is still, e, it's steeped in taboo in a a, a melting pot of various cultures' feelings towards a mental disorder, as I'm sure you're very well aware. I mean, there are still many first world countries who grapple actively with the the existence or not of ADHD and some mental disorders, let alone third world countries, developing countries, and their feelings towards mental disorders. Um, Even in the United States, there's a racial divide between acceptance of mental disorders, right? So and I, there was an unbelievable podcast on death, sex, uh, an episode on death, sex, and money with Jane, and I can't remember her last name, Anna Sale uh, interviewed Jane, starts with the last name starts with the G, her, she's um, a black woman with two um, autistic sons. And she spoke for the entire episode about the challenges with raising two autistic black teenagers who will eventually become with autism and her deep deep fear of how they will be treated in the public because uh, her deepest her, her deepest desires for them to to be able to function as adults but how the public will treat them if they're having an episode if they are you know if at random on a subway train they can't handle their emotions and lash out versus a, a white adult with the same mental disorder so dialing back it starts with totally reworking our awareness right of mental disorder period what is it what does it actually mean right a lot of people think attention different right ADHD can't focus ah it's so much richer and more complex than that right you got to get to the basics and that's where aaron comes in aaron t te- is the one who teaches me and reminds me it is norepinephrine dopamine and you know on occasion adrenaline and endorphins right and serotonin it's serotonin norepinephrine and dopamine and it's an imbalance once you know that And you know that an ADHD person has this much dopamine or or norepinephrine versus a neurotypical person and various things, not just can get us up to that level, running 30 minutes on the treadmill, exercise, uh, uh, treating yourself to an activity that makes you really excited, right? And then going back to the, as Eric Tibbers calls them, important tasks, important, boring tasks, right? So we have less dopamine or We have to get to that neurotypical level, and then we can be champions, right? The ones you know that knowledge is power, and you can work from that. But we don't even know that. We don't teach that well enough. We don't educate people. That that's what it is. We don't know. I I know more than my average peer, and I couldn't tell you right now, actually, what the chemical imbalance is for manic bipolar one. And I know I know I know people very close to me who have bipolar, and I. Couldn't tell you right now. So I'm unaware. I'm naive, right? First thing is awareness. Second thing is acceptance, accepting the fact that mentally, mental disorders exist, or or more positively and more healthily, neurodiversity exists, right? Not the old cliche of it. There, everyone's a snowflake, right? That's uh, old hat and kind of boring. It's The brain is extremely complex. There's 7.2 billion people on the planet. There is bound to be some significant differences between you and your neighbor, let alone you and someone born in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Morocco, Tangiers, whatever. There is bound to be a difference. So we have to accept the fact that people's brains are going to inherently be different, sometimes significantly, and be okay with that. And then, thirdly, we have to support people through their cognitive diversity, right? And that's where teachers comes in. That's where uh, different work environments come in. Some people really like the open work environment that's taken a hold where everyone sits at a big table. Yeah, A lot of people cannot do that, right? I have some ADHD friends who are like, look, I get it. I love being at a table with 20 of my friends, but I need three hours of me time in a, in a, in a, in a office or a closet where I can, I can just make my phone calls and then I can go back out at the, the giant laptop lunch table. And hang out with the rest of my company, right? So we have the third thing is support, figure out a way to actually, uh, um, to actually Im- uh, not implicate to, um, and not instigate either, but to institute, right, what practice, positive practices, positive mental health practices. And, um, the, the fourth that I always say is like, uh, uh, something I learned from somebody uh, a long time ago is a leadership council, uh, Fido, fuck it and drive on. Uh, the fourth thing is sort of like a Steven specific thing, which is like, you've only got one life to live. You now are aware of it. You are, uh, you accept that it's a reality. You support it. Now it's time to live your life. Right start acting, be active, not passive. So if, if you can accomplish the first three things, which is like a Mount Everest, the fourth thing is fuck it and drive on. Now, now we need grit. Now you need positivity, keep pushing forward, accept what you are, celebrate what you are. And now, you know, start doing right. Start whatever it takes, writing to-do lists on your hand, tattooing a to-do list on your body. So it's always there. Um, if you are somebody who's ADHD type two, who fidgets or has like an emotional connection, you have, you know, you're someone who needs to chew on something or swing, or you need that added weight on you, right? You need touch, right? My ex-girlfriend is, is very, very probably ADHD type two. So there's like an emotional connection, a physical psychosomatic connection. Do it, get the chewy thing, get the weight, you know, it tell people that you are this way and start helping yourself out right um yeah I will so uh, that was a big that was a rampage no, um yeah. I, I was letting yeah. you
0: lie. no I like yeah, the yeah. man I mean um, it's learning what what your tools are learning your behaviors how to do it plotting those tools around you to move them as you need for your specific I love the customization man I mean look the, the cognitive rampage is the book itself actually I gotta send you one make sure you please
1: do yeah please absolutely do
0: I, I what's hidden in there actually is a complete approach. It's a total approach actually called transrational structure behavior theory, something that I came up with. That's my deal. And but that doesn't sell a book, you know, so the cognitive rampage is actually the application of TSBT of developing this entire theoretical approach. And that's exactly what you're doing. There is this entire different theoretical approach to a very serious for many, many people. And like we discussed before, even on such a low mid range level over time becomes severely detrimental to life. I mean, this, this is something that needs to be out there, man. Please, you know, write it, (laughs) write, write that book, Stephen. Uh,
1: I, I can promise you that my, I can promise without, with full confidence that my work with ADHD and through attention different will continue until I take my dying breath. Right. And I will, you know, I, 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 thank my lucky stars to have a person like Aaron on board with me to help out and a jury of actually, I'm, I'm working with a filmmaker named uh, James Castile who's right now making a documentary about ADHD. He has ADHD and um, he, his camera guy, Doug, and who also has ADHD, Aaron and I are all going to chat this year in in Southern California. It's about an hour south of LA, and we're going to keep plugging. Like we're going to hit the ground. I I have every intention to write down materials on this. It's starting right now as some public speeches. And um there have been significant variations on my speech from two thousand and thirteen big, big changes. Um, I made this really hardcore call to arms at the end about teenagers should not be on medication loosely um that has changed significantly. I have grown up, I have matured, and I understand now through deep research and um go attending Chad and various um, uh, conventions or meetings or groups that if I am going to champion so bombastically a person-by-person approach, a unique approach, person-to-person, then I have to understand and accept that on this sliding scale that we both agree exists, there is highly functioning and low functioning, right?
0: Hey, I, I like that damn part of it, okay? So uh, yeah. I'm a little biased, but I... I, I <laughs> i like that in part all right i understand the research and it makes total philosophical sense brother i'm on board with you i i am but i i'm i'm biased as shit
1: well so here's where i get a little nuanced right there is a medication uh um i'll leave it unnamed right now mostly because i can't remember it but also i wouldn't say it marijuana Uh, marijuana no (laughs) i have a funny relation to marijuana it we'll get we'll cover that ground maybe in a few minutes, but I have a very up and down roller coaster relationship to that without question because of the riddle and Adderall and being adHd et cetera but um I have retracted the the teenager age group I will never agree that uh, um stimulants Hardcore stimulants such as amphetamines or methylphenidate, which is Ritalin, etc., have no lasting effects on the brain or the per, or my physique. I think that's bullshit. Um, I and I have read and heard studies that there are no lasting effects of Ritalin or, or Adderall or etc. It's just not right that yeah, that so there's, there is
0: there is fine then right? So we can just smoke some meth and there are no side effects. You, to smoking you, you
1: just. I mean, I, I, I would not con- compare pure meth to factory-produced Adderall, but I will say that there is no way on this earth that a 10-year-old taking Ritalin or Adderall, for me it was Ritalin, which is a pretty outdated medication. I now take Adderall. Um, there is no way that that, that that does not have a lasting effect on that person. And the first effect with, which should be obvious, is psychological, all right? If you want to talk about it kind of, I don't know if you know Freakonomics, but I like to use like Freakonomics almost as a philosophy, right? Yeah. If you want to twist, if you want to flip the script a little bit, maybe don't think about the chemicals or maybe don't think about the physical, right? Loss of appetite, et cetera, et cetera. Think about just the psychological effect of a child in a private school in Dallas, Texas, who has to three times a day take 10 milligrams of something because he or she is too hyperactive, Right? You cannot convince me that a, a child in their formative years who is separated from the pact in such a distinct way does not have a long lasting effect on their character or their psychology.
0: The developing brain.
1: Yes, on the developing brain. So even if you struck chemicals from it, which I don't, I think, I, think, I think that the migraines that I had for a week or two every summer through middle school and the beginning of high school are proof enough that my body is experiencing withdrawal from Ritalin if you separate that, even if you separate that psychologically, there is an effect because our culture is usually it stigmatizes the mental disorder. So I am, I am that wacky kid. I am that talkative kid. I am that whatever. Right. So it's just, it's, it's not, it's too black and white to say, no, you can take this at a young age. So there is a medication that I, that I absolutely uh, disagree with there uh, that I, I, would go on any news network or interview show or on public record saying that I will, I will never support this. And it is a new form of, uh, amphetamine. I don't know if it's an amphetamine. Actually. I can't say that honestly, uh, confidently. It is a new form of medication for ADHD, uh, for children between six and 10, and it is candy coated. So, and that's this huge breakthrough Fuck. and the F and the FDA approved it last year or this year so it'll start coming out. In fact, I guarantee you they'll be at Chad this year. They'll have a booth at Chad. So, and Aaron and I, I'll throw Aaron on the bus here. He and I we don't support that. Um I have I have heard speakers and scientists, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists talk about the the physical effects of medicating, you know, young children between 8 10 like when I started. But it's, it's like it's like one of life's many tough questions, but you have to draw the line somewhere. And I refuse to support the notion of candy coating a a, a, a very a very powerful drug for children because because unquestionably we haven't cracked the educational system because we are 30-something. in in the world, the United States, in in public school education and we can't figure out how to shift some government funding from some other unnamed areas that we don't need to be funding right now to education, we're going to instead FDA approve a candy-coated medication for six-year-olds so that they'll sit down and be quiet or focus more right in kindergarten instead of spend the very long time it'll it'll take a bunch of time and a bunch of money to correct the shit show that is the united states public education system right total horrific shit show pick your podcast spin the wheel any single one describing discussing the public school system in the united states is horrifying racially divided sociopolitically divided um, uh, class divides. It's a shit show. So instead of spending the amount of time and effort that we should be and desperately need to on that broken system, very broken system, we are instead going to give billions of dollars to a pharmaceutical company that has just been FDA approved to administer a new form of Adderall, basically. But again, I can't confirm if it's uh, amphetamine or if it's a non-amphetamine. Right to six year olds. And that to me is infuriating. That's infuriating. You can, you can convince me about teenagers, even though I think it's still got to be taken so seriously and matched with mindfulness practices, exercise, nutrition, right? Monitoring constantly. I did not receive the appropriate monitoring. I got what my parents and my teachers and my nurses could offer and they did their best job and I turned out. Okay. But uh, we've learned way more. I can understand that when you're 13, 15, 17, which is why I've altered the end of my speech. But I will yell until I am blue in the face that putting any modicum of time and money into medicating six-year-olds instead of figuring out the shit show that's the public school education is just categorically improper. It's the It is... It is it is indicative of our Americana Western um, medicate it and forget it, and it it you know drives me crazy.
0: <laughs> Hold on! Don't don't I'm stop talking.
1: <laughs> you getting the anonymous mask? It's gonna work, man. Let's go to what now? <laughs> we are legion. Yep.
0: Um, no, my point is it gets me all riled up, man. When you start yeah. talking in a rampage like that, that's my point is, man, That that's the kind of talking we need. You know, that's that real talk, man. I mean, that is what you do it for. But I can't let you end it that way because you won't want to. So for our last <laughs> – because you'll have podcast remorse. You'll look back. I know you. You're a positive dude. <laughs> You're a positive dude. You would look back and be like, I ended that so negatively. So Foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, I fucking love it, though, man. That's a, that's a rampage. That's how you do it. Now, yeah. take the last minute, or two minutes, whatever, man, yeah. and talk to the people that are there, that are not sure about, and I'm personally, themselves, not their kids or anything, but themselves that are either struggling with this diagnosis, or are sure they are not what to do. Just, you know, you're greeting them. Just tell them, man. I don't know. Just tell them.
1: So the first thing I always say is welcome to the tribe. And I've gotten some like mixed reviews on whether or not I should call it a tribe or community, but you know what? Some of the most compelling evidence for positivity and and forward movement comes from communities like the deaf community
0: who like change, baby, the tribe of change is all, all us on Facebook too. I, I,
1: I, I support it. It's the it's the right vibe. You know, like, welcome to the tribe. It's not an exclusive tribe. It's like, welcome to your family, right? Ohana. Welcome to, you know, I, okay, I'll give a short anecdote, and then I'll tell you exactly what, I'll give you my, my, like, concise message to any of those with ADHD and struggling with,
0: you no, know, you to give medic- me that ramp. You give me that ramp.
1: <laughs> so I was asked on Eric Tibber's podcast to join his CBT group. And for a moment, for a, for a minute, I was a little holier than thou inside my head. I thought, wait a minute, I'm, I gave the TEDx talk, like, I know I have my problems and I have my issues, but I don't know that I need to spend the money and join this group. I, you know, I think one-on-one is fine, but I, I don't know that I need to be, you know, in a group cognitive behavioral therapy session, uh, even though I had heard a lot about CBT and I'm a huge champion of it, I kind of got a little holier than thou. But I said I would do it because he said there were a lot of women in the group and he didn't have enough, he didn't have enough boys, didn't have enough guys. So uh, I also really like the guy and I like what he's about. So I finally said, I'll do it. I joined his group. And up until the very first session, the intro session, where we just spent an hour introducing ourselves, I had that holier-than-thou thought, you know, I got this. I'm okay. I don't, I don't need very much, right? The first meeting, there were 12 of us. And I think as, you know, as indicative of Steven as it is, I was walking to another meeting and using my phone. That's how much like respect I was giving this process on the first, in, on the first meeting. I was like, I'll do this off the L train when I'm walking in my like film meeting, right? Hearing 12 people talk about like, just say I'm ADHD and here's what I do. And then for the second 30 minutes, just like it was this free talk about where we come from and what we do and what we're about and what our challenges are. I was almost, I was very near crying at the end with a giant smile on my head because I, and I smacked my forehead. I was like, this is what CBT for ADHD, autism, bipolar is about. It's your family. I was I was looking into the faces of 11 other people who were from all over the country, who all had very different jobs. One was military, one was financial analyst, one was a therapist, one was this, one that. Very, one's a photographer. Um, and we all shared this really unique similarity that bonded us thicker than blood, right? And that 10, that I think it was like 10 weeks, right? Those sessions were some of the most powerful experiences I've ever had, just being in a group. So one of the first things that I tell, uh, I would never give it up. One of the first things that I tell somebody I meet who's conflicted is find a group, find a community, join it. Like join, you know, I wish I wish I had one. I'm all over the place. I'm too attention different at the moment. I'm, you know, doing cross-country documentary and filming these things. But Aaron and I are trying to create a group eventually. That's our dream is to have an online space first, but a brick and mortar space eventually where people can come and peer-to-peer coach each other and help each other out, right? So I say find a group. If it's online, if it's a meetup group, a Facebook group, or a physical one or a, a virtual one, find it and join it. Because just hearing other people ask the same questions you're asking and struggle with the same struggles that you are, and finding coping mechanisms and and in gritting and bearing it through it is is worth. There's it's um. There's there's no monetary value. It's 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 priceless, right? So um, the second thing that I. Tell somebody who's struggling with at these these days. It's usually adult ADHD. I've gotten quite a few messages from young kids or parents with kids. Is um, don't knock it till you don't knock it till you till you really get it. You know, it's it can be great. You're probably a you're probably a creator. You're probably a you know you don't, maybe not necessarily an extrovert, but very go getter, very big dreamer. You've probably got big ideas and a lot of impulsive, positive energy, right? So embrace that. Like, let's like, you know, almost like let's hold hands. Let's hug. And let's like, let's jump up and down and laugh for like a minute and a half. The fact that like, we're pretty positive, right? You a positive person? Yeah, I'm very positive. Awesome. Let's jump up and like, like laugh about it. ADHD is fucking awesome, right? Yeah, ADHD is great. And then I go, great. Okay. Now that we've done that, there's a bunch of places you should look into. Chad, you should, if you can spare a dime, you should pay for A a meeting or two with a psychologist, with a therapist, a social worker, just someone to talk to as a professional. If you have a certified ADHD coach or life coach specializing in cognitive diversity, they're going to be cheaper and more accessible, and they don't have the same laws about friendship and you know being vulnerable with their with their clients, right? They're not patients; they're clients. So find a coach and talk it out with them. That's the second step. You know, first embrace it, laugh it out. Um, or find a community. The second thing is reach out to a professional, uh, especially if you're undiagnosed or especially if you've just received a diagnosis and you're probably an adult with ADHD in that in that case, unsure of what to do, right? Um, reach out to a professional. Find someone who you can get some more information from. And then finally, uh, again, going back to like the FIDO thing, like start start acting on it start towards memory games, towards to-do list, towards, um, you know, start, start practicing mindfulness, start implementing tips and tricks on, um, on, I hate, I hate the phrase. I won't say the guy's name, but there's this idea of crushing your ADHD or controlling your ADHD. Like it's a wild bull. That's stupid. Um, start looking up those apps and those tips and tricks on how to work with the better, the better functioning parts of your brain. Right. Uh, it's, it's almost like, instead of thinking of it as something to defeat or beat or crush, it's, it's something to feed the right fuel. Do you know what I mean? There's this part of your personality that's unique. You've, you are, your personality is inherently unique because you have ADHD so feed the pop the feed the, the positive parts of it. Is there something you re- is there a hobby or an activity you really like doing? Okay, great. Write that down and set aside 45 minutes every day that you get to do that thing and then go back to your, you know, go back to your homework, go back to your work. Um is there a person you love gabbing with on the phone? Call that person 15 minutes every other day. It'll get your your creative juices full and go back to your work, you know? Start in other words, to long story short, start implementing. Right. So I, I, when I run into people who have ADHD and are working it out, I, I have this discussion. It goes on forever. It can go for five hours. If they have to run somewhere, it can be five minutes, you know, Hey, I love you. Welcome to the tribe. Go find a professional, go find a group and like call me or email me. Um, the last, uh, a good note to end on and sort of a shameless plug is that uh, www. is going to come out. Very soon, Chad and I—not uh, Chad, Aaron and I—are preparing to publish that in and around the Chad Conference this November tenth uh, to the thirteenth. And we really want that to be another one of these online communities that people can subscribe to and 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 come for podcasts, vlogs, blogs, uh, tutorials, and classes—the full shebang. We're still working out all the kinks, but we're going to be working on that for the next three to five years. Um, so, check that out. Last but certainly not least, on a positive note, I am as attention different as the next one. I got a lot of really lucky Texas Hold'em hands in life and have run with them, but it does not mean that I don't trip and fall a lot. Uh, one of the areas that I wish that I, that I, Push myself more and more to be better at more on top of is responding to people who reach out. So if you're someone who's listening to this and has reached out via Facebook or email, or if you have sent me a uh, you know a message on my website uh, steventanti.com, which is just like a shit show as well, like I, I spent so little time on that. Um, I I you know deeply apologize for not getting back and I and I will eventually right keep paying me. I always tell people, "You keep emailing me, keep calling me, keep facebooking me. I am not frustrated. I don't give a shit if you reach out a thousand times and then I get back on the thousandth time. I would much prefer that than if somebody reached out to me cuz they saw the talk and then I didn't get back to them for two and a half years, right? Which which will happen often, right? Too much social media, too many ways to get a hold of me. So last Last but certainly not least, I am, you know, I love this part of my being. I love this this person that I am, you know, heart and mind. I, 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 I you know, the phrase, I wouldn't change a thing feels right even though it doesn't sound right but i would i wouldn't i wouldn't deeply alter a single thing about me i work on little things every day but i wouldn't change anything about it and that's what i want other people to get to you know um and it's it it, it can't unfortunately mathematically it, that can't be the case for everyone you know there there is a scale and i have very 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 close friends who have severe depression for instance who will would tell me, hey man, I wish I was as positive as you, but I chemically can't, you know? So I asked myself the question: how do we get that person? How do how do you know, through this insane positivity that I was blessed with, how do we get that person to love the parts of themselves that they can love, that they have room for loving? So I'll end on that sixth note. You know, I I want to instill this confidence in people about their brain that it is okay to be different. It sucks sometimes. Like it sucks a lot sometimes. It's a, for I know I, we brought up Manic Bipolar enough. That shit is fucking terrifying. That is terrifying. That that you might as a human being go through a cycle where you white out where you where where months later you come out of a cycle and you cannot remember what money you spent, what places you went to, who you slept with, who you, you know, what what you said to someone or you know recorded yourself doing, that's that is the stuff of nightmares and, and, and fiction novels, right? So I I want to preach or I want to I want to inspire awareness that that these disorders exist. That they are real. They are there. I am cognitively different from the two people I'm traveling across the country right now. I am cognitively diverse. But that does that 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 isn't all stigma. That doesn't make me a weak link. That doesn't make me an anchor. I'm not inherently a net negative addition to the team because I'm cognitively diverse. It just means that I bring my own nuances my own challenges my own quirks to to any group of people to any task or challenge and i want to celebrate that that difference i want to celebrate that diversity and and allow other people to celebrate that diversity to to celebrate what difference they bring and be accepted and loved which (laughs) the cynic will say is impossible in in our world or in our country currently but the Energizer Bunny optimist will will be here until I die fighting the good fight, you know, for love, for love and acceptance.
0: That, the hey man, you had me caught. Now, <laughs> now do the, uh, you got to drop Robin Williams line at this point.
1: Oh my God, yeah. So um, when Robin Williams passed away, I, I cried off and on for seven days straight in Sacramento, California, and wanted to drop everything I was doing and become an actor (laughs) and a comedian. I called called one of my old professors and I was like, hey, I'm having a real bad time. I think I'm gonna just emulate Robin Williams' life. I think he's one of the most beautiful people that's ever lived. Um, Challenges and personality quirks included. He said about his own disorder, one of the most powerful things that I think anyone has said about ADHD and by extension bipolar. We are all only given a little spark of madness. You mustn't lose it. Which is fucking patch Adams, awakenings. It's like every character he's ever played. You, you are only blessed with a, with a little spark of diversity don't get rid of it figure out how to incorporate it into your life because you've only got one so why waste you know what why waste years of your life getting rid of something that's not going to go away spend much less time still you know still tough but spend much less time accepting it and running with it Incorporating it into your life, and tell everybody else to fuck off. <laughs> I am who I am. Like that. At the end of the day, if I'm being a little, if I'm being a little blue, like I, I am who I am. If you can't accept it, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. That's a you problem. I love me.
0: <laughs> and that was some man. That was some uh, deep. Uh, you had me there. You're going off, man. Like uh, some spotlight shit. I better see some Broadway shit with this TED talk. <laughs>
1: I, hey, I'm doing another talk at uh, Columbia on the 14th of November with a guy named Brian Kinghorn, who is, he runs the neurodiversity TC, think it's called the neurodiversity center, um, at, at Columbia. So, uh, check that out. It's at 7 30 PM Eastern at Columbia on the 14th of November. I'm pretty sure. So that's the next, that's the next thing. Yeah. As far as I'm getting my TED talk again,
0: I still want to see the Broadway man. You saw that? Yeah, have you seen that? Uh, the old uh, John Liguizamo, right where he does the whole. I thing?
1: love his one man shows. Are you kidding? Uh, They're amazing. He's unbelievable.
0: There you go, man. <laughs> off, bro. Uh,
1: it's not the first time I've heard that. I would, I would be honored to have that place that he had yeah, on the dude.
0: stage. Well, we're gonna see it, man. You're only 25, dude. Holy <laughs> man! Thanks for coming on the show, brother.
1: Thank you. Honestly, thank you for having me. I can't wait. Send the book along, um, Aaron, and I will devour it. Um, and uh, hopefully, we get to see you at Chad one of these years. There, it's super educational and and worth going because it's the tribe again. It's a big group of people who all share the same
0: I'd love to come variations and talk about. Yeah, it's, my little theory with the low end spectrum ADHD evolution over time. I'd love to come out. It it is exactly
1: the place to do that on a national level. And then beyond that, yeah, just check in, check in whenever I'll, I'll be back in New York, um, November 13th and, um, well, I'll be back for the election and then I'll be back on the 13th. And then I move. I'm moving to LA end of this year, beginning of next year.
0: Oh so man. Just, when you go back to New York, man, you got to look up one of the producers of this show, man. Uh, my best friend, uh, Daniel McNamara, uh, he's a filmmaker up there. He's got a film out, Red Tide. He's got a film he's finishing up now, Literature to Larceny. Oh, uh, wow. Oh, yeah. He's up there, man. You guys should uh, connect. But uh, again, dude, thanks, man. Appreciate you coming on and sharing, man, and getting deep with me, man.
1: <laughs> of course. I really appreciate you having me. It's been a blast.
0: Hey, man, the mic's yours anytime. So when you got something to spout out or uh, when that site, uh, that movement's up and running, man, uh, let me know. We'll bring you back on. And I'll add you to the, our little closed group of the Tribe of Change, man. And, uh, awesome. Awesome. There's some cerebral cats in that group, man. Tread lightly.
1: <laughs> Rad. No, I need the I need the Olympic training.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is, man. Ter- yeah. Trust me, you post some shit and you don't have your research. My my tribe will eat you alive, man.
1: <laughs> it, it, there, there is no such better practice, you know, than peer-to-peer <laughs> review.
0: They, they eat me all the time. I love them. <laughs> awesome. That sounds weird. They eat me. That's fucked up.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh well, man. It, <laughs> yeah. So, hey, man, let's do it again sometimes, man. Good luck across the country, dude, and uh, we'll stay in touch.
1: All right. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. See you. See ya.